We're in part number three of a six-part series. We're glad that you're here this morning. Relationships can be very, very awkward. So we have a nice awkward picture here for you of a family. It is a struggle. And it looks like the son kind of wants to choke mama there. And I'm not sure why the daughter seems to be so upset. Maybe she doesn't like her haircut. I don't know. But relationships can be awkward. And we're talking about relationships, all kinds of relationships, not just husbands and wives, but we're talking about relationships with your children and brothers and sisters, moms and dads, coworkers, even your frenemies. We're talking about all of these relationships. Now, the reality is in your life, someone that you love very, very much also drives you crazy. It's just a reality. There's someone in your life that you probably would like to redesign. Someone who is maybe too messy, perhaps, or maybe they are just too neat, or maybe they snore like Homer Simpson. Maybe you don't like the way they eat, the sound of the utensils on the plate. Maybe that person smells like pepperoni and hot dogs. I don't know. You just, for some reason, there's a problem there. And now here's the thing. Maybe, maybe someone's opinion of you has become so important that if they don't like you, then things are not right with you, the way you feel. Maybe you're like the hordes of people who are out there that fight over insignificant things, perhaps that person in your life squeezes the toothpaste from the middle, or maybe they just grab a toilet paper roll and they put it on there however they're holding it. We know that's wrong. Why do they do that? I don't know, but maybe you fight about insignificant things. Maybe underwear and socks on the floor. Maybe they are so tidy that they pick up your cup as soon as you set it down. Maybe, maybe that they are so tight that when they walk, they squeak like a squeegee on a shower. I don't know, but there are people in your life and they drive you crazy. Have you ever thought about this? That life would be easier if you were alone and you didn't have to deal with relationships. There's no such thing as a struggle-free relationship, not even for your pastors. There's no such thing. And what we're teaching you in this series is something that a mentor has been trying to teach me as I've studied it, and I want to pass this on to you as accurately as possible. You have for yourself a relationship dream. You do love them, but often you want to run them over with the car. I mean, gently, of course, and maybe with a smile, but maybe you have wished to change that person in some way in your life, like a little bippity-boppity-boop, something that you could do to make them do something differently, because there's just something about them that drives you nuts. Many of us, have tried to remake that person in our life into our own image. I mean, many of us have argued over personal preference as if we were arguing over something about life and death. Many of us have tried to be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life, trying to work out changes in them that only God can make. And in our relationships, maybe we just know that something's not right. We know that something's not great. We know that something's not working. And maybe things were great as the relationship started, but then along the way, something just happens. 
as this relationship was built, and now you're looking at it as it continues to be built, it seems like maybe what you have built is beginning to fall apart, and it's falling apart one wall at a time, and then eventually you think the roof maybe is caving in on the relationship. Perhaps, just perhaps, instead of starting as we look at this relationship and reconstructing parts of the relationship, instead of starting with the relationship, maybe we need to look instead at the foundation. Because with the wrong foundation, it doesn't matter how amazing things are at the beginning. Eventually, if the foundation is wrong, things will begin to collapse. So, What are the foundations of a healthy, God-honoring relationship? What what are the daily foundational thoughts, the desires and the habits that make a relationship good and more solid? Because good relationships, they don't just land on us. If they did, we would already have one. Instead, they are purposefully built, but on a different, on a more solid foundation. And that just doesn't happen by accident. It's so important that without this different foundation, there's no amount of hard work that I can do inside of a relationship to make that relationship what God wants it to be. So those two big foundation parts that must be poured are identity and worship. And I know that sounds strange. I'm going to do my best to explain it. It's kind of like a child learning to walk. He struggles and he falls and he keeps falling. He keeps struggling. And and for us in a relationship, as we're learning to do relationships, we keep falling and we keep messing up. And maybe we wonder, maybe I lack some kind of relational skill that if I would do this, I wouldn't fall as much. Or we might say, if I would practice this relationship more, this relationship stuff more, or practice it enough, I would be better But maybe the greater problem is not what we are doing right now. Maybe we first need to look at the foundation upon which we are walking. It's like a child learning to walk. Maybe we keep falling, not necessarily because of what we are doing, as much as the foundation we are trying to walk upon. We keep falling because we're trying to walk, possibly, in a relationship that has a bad foundation. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at our foundations. That's where we have to start. Strangely, we don't start with with looking at the things we do. We don't start by looking at the things we are saying. Instead... It all begins with our heart because that is where our thoughts are formed. That is where our motives are shaped. Our heart actually impacts everything that we have uh, with others. Every interaction that we have with someone else, it's impacted by our heart. So listen how the brother of James explains this. This is James. Um, He's the, I'm sorry, the brother of Jesus. His name is James. Listen to what he says about this whole concept about uh, we can't start with our words and our actions. Those are just a sign that something is deeper 
wrong inside of our foundation. Listen to how he says this. James chapter 3, starting with verse 8. He says, but no one can tame the tongue. In other words, the things we say, that may not be the problem, trying to change the things we say. He says, the tongue, it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord the Father. That sounds good, yes. And then sometimes, that very same tongue, it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Verse 10, he says, and so blessings and cursings come pouring out of the same mouth? He says, surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. He goes on, does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and bitter water? He asks another question, does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, 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 he says, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. He's saying the words themselves, that's not the problem. He's saying it's much deeper. Our heart's foundation has to be right. We can build a healthy relationship even though we are broken people if the foundation is right. But broken relationships, they are always the result of a cracked, broken foundation. So we said the two foundations that must be poured in our life are this identity, which is who God created you to be, and also worship, which is resting in who God is. Now, the things we believe about ourselves and the things we believe about God, they become the foundation for all the decisions we make, all of our actions that we take, and all the words that we use. There's a critical distinction here. We are not talking about what you say that you believe. We're talking about the way you actually live. So the reality is this. You live out. What you live out in your life is much more important than what you say that you believe. So our first foundation that we have to pour is this, identity. It's the identity that I assign to myself, and it will always affect the way that I respond to you in a relationship. In other words, we have a, 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 a ten- I am this, I am blank, therefore I can blank. I am this, therefore I can do this. So it sounds like this, maybe. If I tell myself that I am smarter than you, then I don't have to listen to your advice. So what I believe about myself impacts the way I relate to you. If I deserve your respect, if that's the way I feel about myself, if I feel like I deserve your respect, then I'm going to watch you closely to see that you actually respect me. Do you see how what I think about me is shaping the way I think about you and our relationship? Here's another one. If I must be accepted by you, then I'm going to take everything that you do and everything that you say very, very personally. If I have a feeling that I must be successful, then you are either going to be a stepping stone to help me towards that success, or I'm going to see you as an obstacle keeping me from that success. Here's the way that looks. When I forget 
who I am according to God, then I'm going to have the wrong reactions to you. I'm going to have the wrong responses to you, the wrong actions and the wrong words. But when I remember who I am according to God, then my responses to you are going to be very, very, very different. When we look at the Bible, every single human that is listed in the Bible had this battle, the battle of their identity. And as they lived their lives, there were good results and there were some bad results. As you look through all the stories in the Bible, that's the way it is. The stories, some of them have really good things that happen in during seasons of their life, but then the next season there may be some really bad things. But it's all based upon where they get their identity. And that is true for us as well. It's true for me. It's true for you. And a great deal of the drama that we experience in our day in and day out life has to do with where we get our identity. And here's the, uh, the strange thing about this. It's so much of the drama in our life is about that. But listen, we actually get to choose what we believe about this. Who you tell yourself that you are has a powerful impact on the way that you deal with people, with the big things and the little things in your daily life. So either I'm going to get my identity from God, or I'm going to get my identity from you, or from other people around me, or from the situations around me. But God's plan is that I get my identity from Christ. When we live out in our daily life, out of a, a sense of who we are according to Christ, then we are going to live our lives based upon what he has provided, what he has given us. And that keeps me from seeking to get those very things from you. From the situations around me, from you and the people around me. Let me give you an example of this whole identity according to God, according to Christ. There are some very specific identity statements in the New Testament. I just want to take one real quick and look at it. And this is Paul writing, and he's talking about who you are according to Jesus. It's in Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 21. This includes you who were once far away from God. In other words, he's saying, I'm talking to you, some people who were very far away from God. You ran from God. You had every reason to, to, to struggle with identity, he's saying. You were, he, Paul says, his enemies, separated from God by your evil thoughts and your actions. In other words, everything we did and said, we, we were separated from God. But he says, you were once this way. So he, he, he goes on in verse 22. Yet, now... He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Jesus Christ in his physical body. In other words, Paul is writing this to people who are what we call at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we call them Christ followers. They have submitted their lives to Jesus and they're following Jesus. Not following him perfectly, but they are pursuing a life of following Jesus. And so this is who Paul is writing to. You used to be his enemy. You used to be far from God. Your actions proved it. And he says, but now, 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 God has brought you, he's reconciled you to himself, brought you back to himself. And here's how he goes on. When Christ in his, died in his physical body. As a result, so here's what happened because Christ died. Now this is the new you. 
He has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, this is how God sees you. I know we don't see ourselves as holy and blameless because you know why? We, we're not holy and blameless. We, we got a lot of blame and we don't feel very holy, right? We know why we don't. But Paul is saying that's not how God sees you. If you, if you are a Christ follower, he doesn't see you as you see you. He sees you through the cross of Jesus. Because all of that stuff that you feel makes you unholy, Jesus paid for that on the cross. And it's paid for, and it's done. All of that stuff that makes you feel blame has been paid for on the cross. And God now, as he looks at you as a Christ follower, he doesn't look at you as you see you. He looks at you through the death of Jesus. And Paul says this, you are no longer God's enemy. God sees you as holy and as blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And then he says this, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. In other words, this is your identity according to God. Believe it. Stand on it. Don't drift away, he says, from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. If I get my identity from you or from the things around me, I am going to be hurt and I am going to feel incomplete over and over and over again. I will be hurt Because I'm trying to get something from you that I already have been given in Christ. And after all, it's something that you can't even give me. How often have we said things like, I I just want them to make me feel loved. I, I just want them to make me feel important. I just want them to make me feel valued. The reality is there is no human that was ever meant to be the source of my happiness. No sinner is ever going to be able to pull that off day after day after day. A spouse, friends, your children, they cannot be the source of your identity When I try to define who I am through that person, I am asking another person to be my personal savior, my personal Jesus. And they will never, ever, ever, ever be Jesus. Only God can give me that inner peace and that rest that I want for my soul. I have to learn to get my identity from God. And only when I get my identity from the proper place, which is God, can I put you and our relationship in its proper place? I can't build my life and my relationship on you. You are not God. You are not Jesus. I must 
build my relationship on the foundation of who I am according to God. When I relate to you, knowing that God has poured his grace into my life, then I'm able to serve you more. I'm able to love you more. I'm able then to get my hands dirty with the hard work of relationships. Two sinners being in a friendship together. And you can do the very same for me. But if I'm trying to get my identity from you, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to watch you. I'm going to watch everything you do so that I can get what I need from you so that I can just feel normal. I'm not just going to watch you. I'm going to listen to everything you say because I'm listening for the things that I need you to say so I can feel normal. You know what is going to happen? It is going to make me need you too much. In fact, I will need you more than I need God. And because I'm watching you so closely, and I would say because I'm watching you too closely, I will become super aware of your faults. I mean, I will become super aware because you are not able to make me feel normal. I I will get frustrated. I will get critical I will get disappointed and angry and eventually I will lose all hope in our relationship because you have failed to deliver the one thing that I need from you and that is my identity. If how I feel about me comes from you, then I'm going to have a life of bad relationships and a future of bad relationships. But if I remember that Christ has given me already everything I need to be the person that he has designed me to be, then I'm free to love you, faults and all. I'm free to be humble in your presence. I'm free to be gentle with you. I'm free to be patient with you. And as we talked about last week, I am free to, to, with love, make allowance for your weaknesses. And you are free to do the very same thing with all of my weaknesses and all of my faults. And we're able to do all of that in the middle of messy lives and messy relationships. Our identity firmly in the hands of Jesus. That is the first foundation that must be poured. And here's the second, worship. Now, by the word worship, I don't want you to confuse it with what we do on Sunday morning. We're not talking about a worship gathering like we have right here, right now, or a worship experience. Here's what I mean. We are worshipers. It's just who we are. God has created us to worship. Every single person ever created from the beginning of time until the last person is created that God's going to create, every single one has been a worshiper. It is in your DNA. You are a worshiper. The only question is, what are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? 
Because our hearts are always under the control of something. And whatever controls our heart controls our behavior. Listen to how Jesus describes this concept in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 19. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths eat and eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. He says, this, this treasure, it's, it's that thing in your life that you hold with great value. You worship, you pursue it. Here's what he says in verse 20. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, wherever your treasure is, here's this key point. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We all live, Jesus is saying, for some kind of treasure. And whatever that treasure is for you, it will control our hearts. Here's an example. Whatever that is that we want. If you today get what you want, what you've been looking for on Amazon.com or as you've been shopping around, if you got today what you want, your heart will be happy. If, on the other hand, you were told you will not get that, your heart will be sad. It's just part of who we are. And Jesus goes on in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. In other words, we're not just talking about a thing here. We're talking about your master, something that will control you. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, God said, Jesus says, serve God and money. Jesus is saying this, whatever controls our hearts controls our behavior. Look at it this way. We have this natural tendency called worship. And if I see something in you, and I'm not talking about a a physical thing, your car, your house, I'm, I'm talking about an emotional thing. If I see something in you emotionally that I need for me to feel normal, If I see something in you of value that I need, it's a treasure that I think I must have. I'm going to try to get it from you because I have this natural desire to worship. I'm going to worship that and try to pursue it and try to get it. And I will end up pursuing you more than I pursue God. But only when I worship God for who he is. Am I able to love you for who you are? Let me explain how this worship thing works as a foundation. Here's what I mean. To love you as I should, I have to worship God as creator. I have to remember that God is creator. And you are God's masterpiece. I have to remember in my relationship with you that you are created by the hand of God and his fingerprints are all over your life. You know, on Sundays, it's easy for me to admit to God when we're in a worship experience, it's easy for me to admit, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. God, you are creator. You're creator of everything. And then for me to go out Monday through Saturday and then hate his creation, (laughs) his masterpiece, it's easier for me to say, God, yes, you're creator. And then, and then Monday through Saturday, be in conflict with everything he's created, all these people he's created. If that's me, then somehow on some level, I am dissatisfied with the way that God has made you. I don't approve. I'm dissatisfied with it. 
If I think like this, my natural response is to try to move God off of his throne and for me to take the throne and try to recreate you into my image. Have you ever wished that your spouse would lose weight? Have you ever wished that your spouse was more handsome or prettier? You ever think that other person is an idiot? Or do you wish that person that in your office would be more tidy? Or do you wish that person... Do they just drive you crazy, that person who says everything has a home? I'm going to be frustrated okay with you the way God made you. I'm going to be frustrated with you, and I'm going to try to remake you into something else. We have to, as a foundation, we have to worship God as creator of that person. God made them the way he made them. And let's be honest. Many of our conflicts in relationship, they're just frustrations because you are different than me. God made you different than me and it bothers me, right? If I'm going to love you though, I must remember that God has created you just the way he intended. Here's the next thing I have to do as part of this foundation. If I'm going to love you as I must, I've got to worship God as Savior. I have to admit, I'm a sinner, and I am in relationships with other sinners. And in my life, I am still in the middle of God changing me. God is not through with me. I'm so thankful he is not finished with me. I have so much in my life as one of your pastors that needs to change. And he is still changing and rearranging and he's still teaching me. And he's doing all of this in his time and he's doing it in his way. And guess what? On this side of heaven, you will never be in a relationship with a finished person. When I start looking more at what God needs to do and change in your life than I do looking at what God needs to do and change in my life, then I've got a problem. Because God is in control of continuing to change that person. And when I forget that, I become self-righteous. I become impatient with you, I become critical of you, and I become judgmental of you. And then, very closely behind that, I start to try to change you in ways that only God can change you. This is what happens. When I become too casual about my sin and too focused on your sin. This is what happens when I have grace for my sin, but I judge your sins. I then try to make the changes for you that only a Savior can make. The second foundation that must be poured, if I'm going to love you, I must worship God as my Savior, and God is your Savior, because God is not finished with either one of us. So everything I've said this morning... It all comes down to this. Here's the summary. I can't start with this relationship thing by trying to act better, by trying to do better. That comes later. That comes later. 
I can't start in my relationship by building the walls and the roof and the structure. I have to start with my foundation. Even if I've already got a relationship with you, I have to go back to the foundation. And that foundation is located very deep within my heart. And for a relationship that is God's dream relationship for me, I must have these two foundations poured in my life. And then I can start to rebuild the relationship. Here's the foundation. First, my identity comes from God and who He says that I am. And it comes from what He has already provided for me. My identity comes from Him, not from what you think of me. It can't come from what you say about me or how you feel about me. My identity must come from God and God alone. Secondly, I must worship God as creator and worship God as savior. God created you just the way he wanted you. And he is at work right now in your life as savior, changing those parts of you and parts of me that we messed up. Now, only when those two foundations are in place, can I consistently begin to respond to you in our relationship with patience and with gentleness, and with love and kindness. Only then, when those two foundations are in place, can I even begin to live out that famous passage from Paul about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says this in verse 4, love is patient and kind. That's what he desires from me, but I have to have those foundations in place. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That is the dream relationship, and it requires those two foundations. So now what? What do we do about all of this? Here's my first encouragement. This week, will you devour your identity statements that are found in Ephesians chapters 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3? Will you just read that and read that and read that and devour those statements about who God says you are? And don't look so closely at that other person. Instead, look at you. Where are you getting your identity. And here's the next thing. Worship God this week as your creator and savior. The creator and savior of them. I know that's kind of a strange thing. How do we do that? Well, here's a starting place. List all the reasons why you, you think that that person can be special to God. Just list them out. All the reasons why that person may be special to God. And then thank God that God is not finished with that person yet. And he is at work in their life, in his timing, in his way. And now shift your thoughts to you. God is your creator. And God is your savior. He's not finished with you either. Stop looking at all the work that God has left to do in their life. And instead, think about all the work that he has left to do in your life. 
And my friends, there is plenty of work for him to do for the rest of your life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it might change in your life and your perspective about the way you feel if you look to God for your identity instead of trying to get that from what the other person feels about you, thinks about you, says about you, what they do. Because only God can give you what you need to be to feel complete. And can you imagine this? The next time you see that person where you have a tough relationship, can you imagine this perhaps? When you look at that person, imagine God as creator having his hand on top of over their life. He because he has made them. His thumbprints, fingerprints are all over their life. He has created them. Remember that. Imagine God's hand on their head. And then with the other hand, that loving hand of his wrapped around them and resting on their heart. Can you imagine that? Just get a picture of that in your mind. One hand on the top of their head. He is their creator. Another hand wraps around them and it's on their heart because he is their savior and he is at work changing their lives, changing their heart in his timing, in his way. Imagine that. Let's pray. Father, if I'm ever going to love someone else the way you want me to love them, I have to stop expecting them to make me feel a certain way. God, help me look to you. Help me to see how you have already provided the very things that I have been trying to get from them. Father, if I'm ever going to love them the way you want me to love them, I must see them as your creative masterpiece. You created them just the way you want them. And I must see you as their savior. You are still working in them, changing them, rearranging them, teaching them in your timing and in your way. And Father, thank you for continuing to change me. I have so far to go. And there's so much work you have left to do in my life. Father, thank you that you are not finished with me yet. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard. And give us the courage to do it, Jesus. Amen.